Welcome back to the prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. And this is the podcast where together with my guests, I share with you ideas on how to be prolific and not perfect and how to build that life full of passion and fulfillment that you've always wanted. I'm so glad you can join us. Please do check out my other podcasts around the topics of investing, entrepreneurship, property and many other topics, which can all be found at nicolebremner.com. A very special thank you to Timothy Hyde for coming all the way from Manchester today to record a podcast with me. Thank you very much, Timothy. No problem. Thanks for having me, Nicole. And I can call you Tim, can't I? Of course. Otherwise, I sound like your mother. Yes. <laughs> Only when I'm in trouble is when I get called Timothy. Timothy. Yes. <laughs> so Tim is a, a marketeer extraordinaire, particularly on social media. But uh, you you look at all facets of marketing, really, don't you? Both online, offline, uh, social media, even print. Yes, definitely. I think, you know, um, marketing is a very fluffy industry. And just by sort of taking some of the um, sort of tactics that people have been using for hundreds of years, putting them on different platforms, doing things slightly differently, I think you can get great value out of lots of different channels. And for me, you know, marketing is an investment about making businesses more money or driving acquisition. And, you know, I think that's been lost in the marketing industry for a little while. And and for me, you know, I'm very, get very um, excited by being able to sort of generate um, results for for businesses um, in, in various different industries. Yeah. And when we met, or how we met actually, was through LinkedIn. I had a a message from someone just saying, hey, there's someone that you should meet. I think it would be really useful for you to have a chat with him. And I get, I really do get hundreds of these every week and I ignore them all. But I just for some reason responded to him and went, yeah, sure, pass his details on, here's my email address. And then Tim emailed me and said, I'm in London today. I'm free at this time. Can you meet? And I thought, actually, I am free at that time. <laughs> Yeah, I can meet. So I met, we came to the Devonshire Club. That was in summer, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. I was slightly less tan though. <laughs> you were less tan. I was more tan. Yes, definitely. That was just after your holiday. <laughs> yeah, just after one of the many boating trips to Ibiza. But um, yeah, what really impressed me about him is not just he's 23, but he's ridiculously young. I could be your mother, actually. So I should, maybe I should call you <laughs> Timothy. But um, is the fact that when we were talking about marketing, you said, what's your revenues and what would you what would you like them to be and and rather than say what's your marketing budget it's what's your revenues and how can we justify the revenues by uh, putting together a marketing project and that that really impressed me uh, that just that really top line view rather than let's look at the expense or let's look at an expense item marketing and work there because as anyone knows you're I would happily turn up the marketing budget in order to get the result so yeah just I've waffled on enough, Tim. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what it is that you do and how you got started? Give us a background. Okay, yeah. Um, quick little bit about me. Um, started off life at the, the Lad Bible. Um, was the at 11th, 12? <laughs> when I was 18. Um, was the 11th member of staff there. Grew that Facebook page from 1.8 million to 10 million likes in 10 months. Grew the daily traffic from 1 mil a day to 5 mil a day. Won the company's employee of the year at 19. Then moved on to an agency called Social Chain, which is now one of the biggest social media marketing agencies in Europe. Was the head of campaigns there and looked after everything we sort of strategized and executed. Yeah, been super, super fortunate to work for sort of like Apple, Spotify, Nike, Adidas, Puma, UFC, ASICS, Eurosport, um, Amazon, you know, a lot of the biggest brands in the world, really helping them sort of leverage social media and, and drive access 
acquisition through those sort of channels. From there, I went to an agency called Agency TK. And at 21, I looked after a third of their agency globally. So I was between Leeds, London and Los Angeles, um, looking after TV, radio, SEO, PPC and social media. I think why that was sort of so important in my um, entire journey is really understanding what value those different channels can actually provide. And, you know, I think a lot of marketers uh, from an engagement standpoint, like to say, you know, TV is dead, print is dead. Well, actually, I would look at them and say, you know, I don't think they're as valuable as social media because social media has a lower barrier to entry, but they're not dead. And I think if you do those and, and execute well on those channels, you can still get incredible value. And and that perspective has been really important since I've gone on from there um, and had my own agency for the past sort of 18 months, um, raised sort of about 3 million through crowdfunding, um, worked with, consulted for UFC, um, done some stuff with Netflix, ITV, working on a lot of people's personal brands, um, currently working with some huge fintech companies, which is super exciting. Um, and yeah, life's been been pretty good, actually. I've been very, very fortunate. That's great. And you are based, you're not just based in Manchester, are you? No. So um, that, I've just spoke quite a lot about my sort of agency venture, um, which is just me and, and, and kind of as a an outsourced CMO and, and kind of freelance social media specialist, which, you know, I really enjoy and really enjoy running some of the performance marketing, but just because, you know, the results are there for everyone to see. But my other venture is um, a company called Truefan, which is a social media analytics tool, which aggregates your most engaged and most influential followers, um, which means you can obviously contact those people directly you know um aggregate them in specific sort of lists so you can you know market specifically to them for example if you're an influencer selling merch you don't want to just um always you know message your entire following hey please buy my merch but actually those most engaged people you can obviously sell that to so yeah because this goes back to the founder and editor of wired magazine talking about your 1000 true fans is that right yeah, you, I'm, yeah. That's. I mean, yeah. We've we've been very fortunate to have a lot of great press, and um, just because of the the internal team we have, uh, Manu and Arnica, Canada's twenty under twenty, and we've been able to sort of, you know, sign up and and have huge huge brands um, test out the beta, mm. which you know. You but the concept goes back to this Wired editor. Did you know that that the Wired editor came up back in two thousand and eight or nine, and said that your success comes down to having one thousand true fans. Yeah, um, I think that's a strategy that a lot of people have, have tried to incorporate and I've actually seen a lot of people in the property industry try and do something similar. When when we first spoke, you were you didn't really care about the vanity metric of, of your Instagram following. You just cared that you had regular people consistently engaging with you, messaging you, commenting on your stuff, which is true engagement. And you were able to leverage that and, and in, as well as creating this sort of bigger perception through your, your the vanity metrics and following, actually you had a really strong core following. And yeah, I think, you know, in, in 2019, those vanity metrics aren't as important now and and having a real community having people that are going to do what you actually ask them to do whether it's buying a product whether it's going to an event whether it's supporting you through a specific venture that's where there's real value not just in the kind of awareness because in this social media era it's quite easy to get pretty cost efficient uh, awareness whether that's through paid media shout outs or other you know platforms like podcast that's right. And I think that the it all comes down to engagement figures, doesn't it? And so and that's how the whole influencer space came about. So talk to us about what your engagement numbers are and and what they should be as a target. 
Yeah, so I think engagement for me is really an indicator. Um, I think, I, especially when it comes to marketing, reverse engineer everything. Uh, and, you know, if, if a sale, whether it's a property, whether it's, you know, a sale of a T-shirt, whatever that is, you know, that's your end goal. And then work back from that. And so specifically on, on sort of higher ticket items, like a house, you're not going to see a house once and then just buy it. You know, you really need to walk someone through that journey. And that's where, for me, in that kind of middle stage of the funnel, where engagement needs to be monitored and, and, and understood properly, not just like oh we got a million views on that house listing well obviously you did because it was a 25 mil penthouse in new york well you know yeah the people are curious people are curious people like you know aesthetic um things property porn. exactly property porn which you know is exciting and gets great brand awareness but you have to then look at how that engagement filters down into actually people who are real prospects and you know you can't expect those someone to watch a video once and then buy your product the real key for me in, in the social media marketing space is nurturing the rest of that journey after you've got that initial touch point or initial bit of awareness and so how do you apply some of the lessons that you learned from working with these really big names that you mentioned earlier to people like me who are who have these personal brands that they're trying to grow? I think from a personal branding standpoint, I think people um, don't actually understand the, the value that they have or, or are confident enough to, you know, put themselves out there. And I think you're a great example where you've been in and around a lot of businesses, you've had a lot of success and what you're actually doing a lot of the time is just documenting that. You know, you're not having to come up with these big think pieces of like how you're revolutionising the property game or how um, you've gone from a developer, how you've gone from a, a, a mum and all these kind of different journeys. You're actually just saying, this is what I've done, this is how I've done it and present yourself in a great light and I talked to um, a lot of people about how a, a personal brand is just a really a digital extension of who you are and you know what you want to do is take those personal traits that you have in person and you know when you have success in business and have those great personal relationships you just want to amplify that through social media and I think someone like you's done that really really well and is hopefully going to continue to do that yeah no well that's the, that's the plan <laughs> yeah uh, that's what we're working towards but it is it's really easy for people to fall in this trap that it's all just too hard and it takes too much work and really not be very clear on how they're going to get there everyone wants to build their following and and develop their community but it, it is it's challenging at times and I myself fall ill and out of love with with social media yep. what would you say would be a really good first starting point for people who are working on building their personal brands I think creating value for your audience, you know, whether that's life advice, top tips, whether that's just perspective on specific issues that you have an interest in or expertise in, and, and just portraying that in the right way and, and understanding how you come across, not just, you know, I personally get very frustrated when you see these sort of headline statements, you know, TV is dead or um, you have to do this, you have to work hard. Well, I absolutely believe that working hard is going to put you in a position where you're more likely to be successful. But if you're working extremely hard on a project that's got no legs, then you're not going to be successful. And obviously, just in this sort of headline Instagram era, that that's what people read and they go, right, I have to hustle, I have to work 18 hours a day, don't sleep and, and do a lot of sort of harm to themselves. And I think just by looking at the, the broader spectrum, um, if you're providing value to people, that's how you you know build trust, that's how you build a relationship with people. That's how when you go into a meeting, someone knows who you are, they know that you're credible, they know what you're about, and you have that um, sort of breaks down the wall and you don't have to really sell to people you just have to put across your 
your you know business proposition and by coming across like how you do in person on online is I think a real key to sort of growing a personal brand because it needs to be authentic and it needs to be personable it can't just be what Gary Vaynerchuk do, is doing what Steve Ball is doing what Ryan Serhant's doing you know you can't just try and emulate what these people are doing because they've already done it and that's it just right. looks that's like disingenuous, a disingenuous isn't it exactly yeah so how would you how would you recommend that people find their own personal style oh I, th- I suppose that's a tricky one I think for me um my LinkedIn's a lot more business focused than my other channels because, you know, I'm a proper social media nerd, whether that's like updates to the platforms, whether that's looking at what other big businesses are doing, specifically Nike have ran some really great campaigns last in the last 18 months and commenting on that and, and actually explaining why I thought that was good. Not preaching to people why you have to do this, but actually just sort of saying, this is why I thought this was really good. And that for me is my kind of tone of voice. I think finding your tone of voice is is it really comes down to what you're comfortable with sharing and and if you're confident enough in that specific industry to actually give insight you know um i don't know the first thing about how to you know specifically sell a property but you do and actually you might think that that's really basic but to people from the outside it might not be and so i think it's a lot of sort of testing and learning and being confident that actually what you are saying is true and and is valuable to people and once you kind of establish that then i think it's easy to sort of get some momentum and and start building off that foundation i'm going to challenge you a little bit fantastic <laughs> <laughs> i think that there are there are certain industries such as online retailers yep and personal brands and those sorts of things, big name, big name uh, footwear brands and sportswear brands, those sorts of things. I think there's a formula where you just spend X amount on marketing and X times whatever 10 uh, or 100, whatever the metric might be, is then that's your revenue. Yep. And you just turn up that marketing budget and the revenue just turns up and you uh, you have a, a 4% engagement rate with your yep. clients, which I think that's about average, isn't it now? Yeah, I, I think it depends. I think, you know, anywhere between sort of 1 and 10. 1 yeah. and 10. Mine's around 8, by the way, my Instagram engagement. So that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Pat myself on the back. But so I think that there are various industries where this just works. Yep. Okay. But I do think that based on some of the things that you were saying before about the other industries, things like financial services, perhaps that are regulated, things like law firms, accounting firms, uh, estate agencies, selling houses, I'm not sure it works like that. But what do you think? I think, you know, for me, it's about putting yourself in the best position to be successful. And is it likely that you see a Facebook ad and buy a house? Probably not. But if you're constantly seeing it from a specific estate agent that's in your area, that what you can actually do is start to build that relationship. And instead of it, you know, just being a billboard or just being a social ad, for me, it's about building that ecosystem to build that relationship, to build that trust. So then when you are in that, you know, opportunity or or period of time where you are about to purchase, that's what comes front of mind. I think that the analogy I use quite a lot of is, you know, when it comes to car insurance, um, you could offer me car insurance at half what I pay now, but I won't buy it. Why? Because I don't need car insurance right now. And actually, you know, what these sort of brands have to do, have to do a lot more brand activations to build that relationship, build that trust. When it comes to that sort of purchase window, which actually might be super, super short, you know, you're one of the first things that they search. And that as a, a kind of whole digital marketing portfolio, you need to do all these things. It can't just be, oh, I got very lucky at that when that one user needed to renew their car insurance, they saw that Facebook ad and they 
purchase through that. That's not very likely. But what you could do, for example, throughout a year is obviously amplify content, amplify engaging content to specific demographics. So again, build that trust, build that engagement and get them in your ecosystem. So when you know that time does come that they're looking to purchase, you're ahead of the competitors. Um, when it comes to sort of estate agents, you know, you, I wouldn't measure any success by just based on engagement because one, especially in this digital era, that can be fabricated. And you might think that this one business is doing extremely, extremely well because they've got a million views on all this content. But actually, you know, when it comes to their billables or when it comes to what they've actually done, they're not successful. So I think it's always going to be, you know, a balancing act between that and you can't get caught up in what the engagement is saying. But for me, it's a, a massive indicator of what is actually working and, and how that's resonating with your audience but you've got to understand what is actually converting people um you know i think we're very romantic about specific marketing tactics social is very scalable so that's why people want to go there digital marketing measurable adwords you know these are great um programmatic you know great um tools for for marketers but at the end of the day if events marketing by getting 50 people in a room you know you look at um a wealth management company if if their conversion rate is let's get 50 people in the room and we'll convert 80 percent of people like that well then that should be where your marketing budget goes and and that's i think um what people um forget is actually you've just you really have to have an omni-channel approach it can't just be right i only want it to be social i only want it to be seo i only want it to be ppc it's all these different channels because you know even for real estate it's not very likely but snapchat could be an amazing channel for you you've got to test that agreed Um, and there's some estate agencies in uh, one in particular in new york doing a really great job on snapchat but i think your point is a very good one and that is that what works might not be sexy but it's about what works and so to use your wealth management analogy getting people in a room and standing up and talking is not it, it this is really old school but social media just might not work because your 80 year old clients are not on social media exactly. it's the same with a state agency uh, i'm talking to dan mcpeak at nest seekers and london lofts he says you've just got to get on the phone pick up the phone and call now that's not sexy people want nope. to be on social media presenting this great image uh but Perhaps that's not what works. No, I think when it when you actually look at that sort of attribution window, I think that having a good social strategy would help that. And obviously, this all comes down to value. You know, why you would spend on social rather than TV is based on value and, and sort of lower barrier to entry. Um, what I would say is I think by having a strong social presence and having great content and having a great brand puts you in a better position when you do get on that phone. But again, you know, when you look at sort of um, investment opportunities, wealth management, some of the finance kind of services it's still about getting cost per leads through digital marketing and ringing people on the phone and that is the the kind of funnel now having a strong presence on social so when people you know do either google you or they do you know go on facebook instagram and check and sort of verify that this is legitimate and that you trust them that's where i think social can play a great part but it's very difficult to track and that's why if you don't have Um, or aren't able to run specific performance marketing through social, then I wouldn't invest heavily in that. However, I would at least do something so that you're not, social is working for you rather than working against you. Uh, Absolutely, it's there. And I think you've you've said exactly what it is and it's about having a presence so that people if they want to check you they they can see where to find you and can check out exactly who you are and and get a bit more color about who you are as a person 
Absolutely. And I think that, you know, all these kind of tactics, there's so many potential marketing tactics, whether you're looking at, you know, personalization. So if a lead comes in, you know, they're getting a, a personal email from Nicole or they're getting a DM directly from you and you can go, actually, do you want to arrange a, a viewing with me? And they feel like they've got that relationship with you, which puts them in a, um, a position where they're more likely to purchase, which is phenomenal. But, you know, you've got to do all those things. And, and people just think there's these sort of silver bullets where you do one thing and it, and it works. Whereas, you know, that's not normally the case. Um, um, I think the ultimate silver bullet in the last two or three years has been influencer marketing. You know, you've seen so many e-commerce brands that have gone from zero to seven figures and then sold just through having great promotion through influencers. That's Shark. What is that? Really? Uh, Gym Shark. Gym Shark. I mean, they've, they've done a phenomenal successful. job. Just take us through. Uh, do you know much about Gym Shark? Yeah, they I do. seem to be everywhere. So just take us through what they've done and why it's so, been so successful. So they're sort of like a, a gym athleisure company based in Birmingham, ran by a guy. I think it's Ben Francis. Um, I've never actually met him, but he's good friends with uh, some of my friends. Um, and yeah, what he did, you know, um, started, he identified a niche where there wasn't, you know, a killer brand at the time that was, you know, had a, an affinity to specific gym where gym goers and people that are into sort of bodybuilding and, and sort of extreme fitness. And what he did, he built an e-commerce empire off the back of it. And they utilize, you know, performance marketing, Google AdWords, SEO, um, Facebook ads, Instagram advertising and influencer marketing as their kind of core channels and ecosystem and just absolutely scaled it up. And, you know, they, they brought on brand ambassadors and the people, these people at the time had extremely engaged followings. They didn't necessarily have to have 5 million followers, but they, uh, they just had sort of a really engaged 30,000 and so through product promotion through building that positive affinity with these specific influencers and the products they were wearing that's how they were able to to scale massively and then as time went on you know they start to invest in events marketing and and sort of going to um, expos and things like that and I think you know movement watches is another great example they started off on crowdfunding then went to a big e-commerce store and they've sold uh, for a couple hundred million in, in the US. And, and What's the name of that company? Movement, so it's MVMT. Movement um, Watch. Watches. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've just absolutely killed it. And they they were super successful because they invested extremely heavily in two content creators called Sam Calder and um, Jacob. I can't remember his name. He's just at Jacob on Instagram. Um, and they just created this phenomenal, phenomenal lifestyle-free unbelievably aesthetic content and that's what people bought into the brand and they were selling more of this adventurous lifestyle rather than just these sort of 80 80 90 dollar watches which were were nice but still you know you've got it's a pretty um competitive market you know you've got um movement now you've got daniel wellington you've got you know armani and the kind of other retail brands that are are doing watches at a similar price point didn't have anything that was necessarily different you know it wasn't super complicated but that formula building that brand through social allowed them to generate unbelievable amounts of sales um, and create a brand that people buy into and then therefore buy their products. And do you think that that formula still can work or do you think that was yesterday and it's all different? Do I think it can work? Yes. Do I think it is likely to work? A lot less. I think the percentages of that, you know, there's a, an extremely successful uh, Australian entrepreneur called Greta uh, Van Riel, I think it is. Um, and she's created five or six seven-figure e-commerce stores and she has this formula, you know, where it's, um, minimalistic brand, sort of uh, specific niche products. I think her first one was like skinny me tea or something um, and used influencer marketing, you know, partnerships, people that she'd collaborated with, people that she knew and knew that their channels worked and just scaled up. Now, her influencer marketing blueprint, categorically has worked. It's worked multiple times, but you can't just apply that to 
a specific another watch brand another tea brand because you know it's it's about so many factors in marketing it's about the right timing about the right brand about the right communication about being first to do it because otherwise you know people have already supported skinny me tea why are they going to go to your brand so do i think it can work yes but i don't think you can just say we're only going to spend on influencer marketing i think you need to distribute the risk across all these different marketing tactics and then obviously understand what results they're generating and then scale up those channels it seems that people really do benefit from this first mover advantage and it can be quite disheartening really to see okay Greta and I know who you mean I personally I despise anything with skinny in the label because <laughs> I don't think anyone should aspire to skinniness for me I like the healthy glow yes. rounded athletic type <laughs> rounded. Um, and I just think skinny just ugh. anyway it reminds me of eating disorders which is just horrendous I think but anyway that's my opinion but to go back to my point and that is that it can be quite disheartening for people who are just starting out on a marketing program to uh, see that all of these things have been done before. It's kind of like the vloggers back five years ago, the yep. ones who started five, six, seven years ago. They're the ones that have got hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions of followers. So really challenging question for you now. What do you think that people starting out now can do differently that will be the next big thing? Oh, the next <laughs> big thing. Um, I think potentially identifying platforms where other people haven't gone yet. I think there's a massive opportunity for LinkedIn influencer marketing, specifically in the B2B space, you know, not just using LinkedIn's um, sort of paid media platform because it's still relatively expensive compared to others, but actually enabling specific people with huge channels on LinkedIn. You know, a lot of my business partners have, have big channels on there. Um, I get a lot of traction on my LinkedIn, which has been amazing for my businesses um, and, and actually leveraging those people in that group to target you know a platform where people are in a business state of mind the fact that you know people these people are regularly posting insightful business-esque content and i think that's an opportunity for some businesses to to really maximize that as a channel um, can i tell you a linkedin story of course i kind of messed up over christmas did you yeah i put out a post that i i perhaps i'm naive but i put out a post just, I think it was on Christmas Day or before Christmas Day with a picture of myself sitting in front of my Christmas tree saying, I'd like to give a special shout out to all the single parents out there who are celebrating Christmas either a day before or on a different day or who are not with their children. And for me, I naively just put this out there thinking that it would be a heartfelt post to the other single people yep. who it was my first Christmas as a single. And I've got a partner, so I'm not single, but I am yes. a single mother. And perhaps I didn't portray that properly. <laughs> my post got... About a thousand likes. Uh, uh, I think we're up to about a hundred, over a hundred comments. Uh, I can just imagine. Had, I think about a hundred thousand views, and I got hundreds, if not thousands, of new followers. I'm nearly maxed out my my. Oh, I'm at twenty nine seven hundred or something followers, Amazing. all off the back of this, and a lot of male followers. Ah, <laughs> and uh, just the ones you wanted. Yeah, exactly. And so, look, LinkedIn is very, very powerful, yep. and but you have to be careful. The point of my story is. Be a little bit careful about what you put out there. I really was naive about putting this single post. And some people said, oh, she's just looking for a husband, which for the record, I'm not. <laughs> but, uh, without um, a doubt. I mean, actually, you know, when you look at YouTube comments, arguably the most savage platform, I think Twitter was and potentially still is. But I mean, a mix between Twitter and YouTube and it's awful. It is awful what it people is. say. Twitter because, is awful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think LinkedIn is an extension of that arguably just because I think there's a lot of arrogance on the platform and a lot of people that like to just put their two cents in. You know, it'll be an IT 
developer or IT consultant from uh, West Bromwich <laughs> that will comment on a post that I've done like, this was useless. And <laughs> Okay, it wasn't necessarily aimed to you. Um, I don't get that too often anymore, but you know, that is just a, a case even on my post that's super random and, and people are, um, people don't like watching other people, um, you know, share their experiences and their life experiences because I think jealousy is the wrong word, but I think that it makes them uncomfortable and they, they try and lash out and I can imagine you got some real negative comments on that post which yeah, luckily is not, not too many and uh, yeah luckily our, our other post twitter is savage i find i almost i've almost wanted to quit i did quit twitter for a long time because of the savageness but just to go i put this um in you as for you as an example you're very young and successful so obviously people uh get angry it's going back to your point go you if you are successful and if you are putting your head above the parapet people are going to attack if you're not doing anything no one's going to attack you because you're not doing anything so tell us what is what have you been doing specifically who are you working with now and what's in the future i think you've got some exciting uh new plans that are formulating yeah so um I've been extremely fortunate um, throughout my career to just be connected with some amazing people and have some great case studies behind me and results that, you know, we really believe that we can replicate those. So doing a lot of um, stuff with Revolut, the, the kind of fintech company at the moment, which is, is super, super exciting. Um, working very closely um, with a company called Hunter Jones, which is sort of a um, an investment kind of company um, for lack of a sort of it's that retail investor and sort of high net worth investor and helping them really leverage their CEO, uh, Reese Many's personal brand, as well as sort of nurture some of those leads through social as well as their kind of digital marketing. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's an industry that's got a huge, huge upside um, because obviously the rewards are so big. And I think if you can just tweak a few of these tactics and make them work for you and, and really amplify their digital presence, you know, they're doing a great job on the, the conversion end and have a great product that they're selling. And just by you know, applying some of my sort of marketing now. So I think, you know, some of the results can be very exciting. And, and for me, 2019 with TrueFan is just about executing, getting it in front of some of these big brands that we've already had conversations with, get their feedback, continue to develop the product and, and, and go from there. You know, um, very, very exciting year. Um, and I think that I just feel very lucky after a little bit of time off that, you know, I can see where... Um, both of my kind of businesses are going and and that's not always the case as as you very well know so yeah just execute execute at a high level and um i'll see where i end up (laughs) and are you moving are you relocating not yet i mean i'm in london probably three days a week at the moment which means a lot of time on trains on and hotels and but you're on a youth rate, right? Yes, I am. I, I, I'm very fortunate to get a 16 to 25 rail card. So, um, yeah, start, I can get a lot of work done on the train, um, which is good. And, and it, it means that I'm in that kind of hustle mindset because I'm not just, you know, sat in an office and, and kind of just contemplating life. You know, I'm always on the move and I find that very energising. So I think we'll see what 2019 uh happens you know you never know in in kind of business and but for me it's you know about really doubling down on the kind of clients I've got on the projects I'm working on uh, and just do a really good job and, and have those kind of examples of things I'm really proud of and um, how I've kind of hopefully set myself up then I'll get very well looked after and, and that would be a very exciting. And if people are wanting to or are interested in working with you what sort of uh, clients who do you work with and how can they get in touch with you? Um, yeah I do a lot of consultancy for for kind of bigger uh, brands um, and just sort of help them optimize some of their performance marketing um, as well as you know um, 
various different people some that i can say some that i can't so um yeah if anyone wants to get in touch um whether it's email or or linkedin you know tim hyde on linkedin um search me out and be love to i'd love to sort of get in touch with anyone even if it's just pushing you in the right direction i think for me it's always about just understanding the scope of a project it's not always just fiscally driven it's it's about understanding how i can add value or how i can help someone you know um amplify what what they're currently doing and and at the end of the day a lot of that with that acquisition strategy is about making people more money and you know the results will speak for themselves that's right and and people will t- uh, turn up that marketing budget based on the results that they get which is Hopefully. in everyone's interest <laughs> yes yeah. uh so we'll put all the links to your various social platforms up on your bio so just a quick few questions to of ask course. before we end and that is first of all what did you want to be when you were 16? When I was 16, I wanted to be a journalist. Okay. I wanted to be a sports journalist. Uh, massively, massively into sports. You know, big NFL, NBA fan, big Liverpool fan, which is very tough. Liverpool? Com- yep. Living in Manchester? Yep. Tough um- <laughs> upbringing. It's definitely helped me in the business world. Uh, it gives you thicker skin. I can tell you that. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I think I'm actually a very average writer, but was sort of decent at that growing up and quite good at identifying what stories people resonate with, which has massively helped me in the marketing world. But um, yeah, just that, that was my real passion and straight from school, um, did my A-levels and then became, did my NCCJs, my national journalism exams, and then got a job at Lad Bible and everything changed and went into sort of social media and social media marketing. Actually, you've got a really good sports story about something that went viral that you were working on. Yeah, Can you share a, that? Um, yeah, so back in the, the kind of social chain days, uh, this could be a bit of a long story, so apologies for no, anyone please. listening. It's, it's interesting. Um, this was probably 2014, I think, and we were sort of about 15 people at the time at, at Social Chain, and we were speaking at this conference called SoccerX, um, which is in... Uh, Manchester, big kind of partnerships conference like PSG, Manchester City Go. And Steve, who is uh, still an amazing, amazing CEO at Social Chain, um, we'd paid to... um, speak at this event and it was a big investment for the business at the time as we was we weren't that big um and we thought you know we don't just want to talk at this event we want to do something interesting do something different to make sure that the you know the investment um uh, is worthwhile so what we did um we created a fake football player called rex seco which is an anagram of soccer x um and basically distributed all this content about how this 16 year old had transferred to arsenal for 34 million and the internet bought it um you know i think it trended worldwide after sort of half an hour um it's much better in a presentation because you can just see the floods and floods of tweets you know people tagging Piers morgan um who's who's obviously a big arsenal fan um and, and basically just blew up massively. And, and, and at the end of it, after about 45 minutes, what was really funny was the narrative completely changed after tricking some of the press. They actually did some of their research and realised that it was all a hoax. And, you know, that for me just shows that if you have a, uh, the right idea, the right distribution um, and a time-relevant kind of concept, that the power that can have, you know, is hundreds of millions of impressions and isn't, doesn't have to be, you know, a super expensive campaign either. Was there much backlash? No, there wasn't. I mean, we actually did a lot of work with Arsenal after it and, and Puma, who were their sponsors at the time. And, um, you know, they were able to laugh about it. They did say at the time it was one of their most stressful days at the office, phones ringing off the hook. But, um, you know, it was all in, in good jest. And I suppose we were also quite lucky. This is before the Donald Trump fake news movement. Um, and maybe you wouldn't get the same, you know, reception about that now. But at the time, you know, I, I think people understood that it, it, it was harmless and um, was just 
done to sort of flex social chains muscles at the time. Yeah, that's right. And it's about being sensitive to changes within an environment so that you are not stepping over boundaries. And as yes. you said, that's now a boundary that you wouldn't step over. But at the time, it was a great uh, example of what social chain could do yes, for their clients. And do you think you're a perfectionist? Oh, um, I think I'm very hard on myself, um, but I think that drives me. And I think I don't necessarily think I'm a perfectionist, but I just want to do the best I can. And that, for me, comes down to everything. You know, working hard, being good to people, doing those little 1% things is super, super important to me. You know, taking those meetings, taking those phone calls. I mean, it, it's kind of hilarious how we met. It was through kind of a LinkedIn recommendation, random message just about aligned with both our schedules and we met but you know if you said no to that we wouldn't be here today and we wouldn't have done some work together which which was really exciting and I think it's all about sort of you get in life I think you do get a lot of opportunities but you also have to you know push yourself to make the most of those and I think that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a perfectionist you know I've said things in this podcast that if if I re- listen back about like, ah I wish I said that or I could have phrased that differently or I could have you know my body language could have been better um and I want to improve on that but at the same time you know that's I was I had enough rest last night I'm not super tired you know I'm not drunk I'm, I'm here and <laughs> present you know um and, and I think it's all about those yeah one percent things to to do the best you can and you can be happy with that because then if if you've done the best you can and the results aren't so good then you can be happy with that because you know you've done your best what is annoying you know if you didn't respond to a client in time or you didn't you know get something across or you didn't give it your best effort that's when you really that's really irritating to me but if you know you did your best and it didn't come off then that's the nature of the beast and I think you can live with that yeah absolutely and I do think having asked this question dozens of times now there almost seems to be a generational difference between the responses I get from people my age who say yeah I'm a perfectionist I'm really trying to work hard not to be and the younger people say yeah no actually I'm not and I do think that we've got this shift away from being perfect which I think is refreshing and uh, yeah it's just an interesting observation for people that they can perhaps uh, notice themselves as they speak to are you Gen Z? I, technically, yes. Technically. I was born ninety-five, so technically Gen Z. But I would, I would say I was a millennial. In fairness, yeah, okay, so it's all about mindset, anyway. So okay, we, so you've got a millennial mindset, but <laughs> yes. you're Gen Z, as you call it, not Gen Z. Yeah, I would say Gen Z, but okay. I think that's the Americanism in me. <laughs> Sounds um, like easy. <laughs> yes, um, I mean, I think one of the, the funny things I'd say about that is, especially when it comes to marketing, because of some of the older school channels, whether it's terrestrial, whether it's you know print. Because that is so finite when specific creative gets sent off, I think that's why specifically marketers are so much more, it has to be a perfectionist and it cannot change because, you know, that could be a six-figure fuck um, for, for lack of a better phrase whereas in on social you know you want everything to be correct and it needs to be double or triple check before you put something out there but it doesn't have to be the most optimal perfect thing because you need to test it because you know you get the res- that feedback so quickly that you, if, if you think that line of copy or that specific shade of green could have been improved then you change it you swap it out you try it again and if the results are better you go with that and I think that's definitely a millennial mindset because we have these tools where you can change whereas you know if you've just commissioned a big tube like to wrap an entire tube you can't go back on that 200 grand no exactly and that's it it's about being prolific not perfect which is exactly what this podcast is all about so we will really quickly do you have a podcast a book a uh, a video or something that you would recommend that people watch Ooh, um a book i mean yeah I think so I I, the one I always go to is start with why by Simon Sinek which a lot of people have either watched his TED talk or um read read the book by now however what I think 
my perception of that book has changed over time. I think the whole analogy of um, his why people buy into brands, um, I probably have a slightly different take because I think we buy into brands, you know, specifically things like Apple for various different reasons, not just why Apple are doing things the way they do. And I think what I took most from that book and TED Talk is, you know, looking at your why personally, not necessarily the why of brands, but what is your why? So reverse engineering that for me, my, my goal is to be happy. You know, I think it's not necessarily about finance. It's not about money. It's about being happy. If, if you're the happiest person in the world, you are arguably the most successful person in the world. So what makes me happy? Well, business success makes me happy. How, how do you get business success? By working hard, by doing the little things. And what you can do by, you know, having your end goal and working back from that. I understand all the different facets of my life that I can improve and work on and, and how that incorporates into my day-to-day life to get to what makes me happy you know spending time with with people like yourself and, and talking about strategy and marketing I'm a proper nerd so I really enjoy that and so that makes me happy so it's something I'll do and continue to do whereas there's other things you know whether it's paying for a cleaner or, or little things like that I don't enjoy doing that I, I don't see the, the value in it can I pay for that service yes cool okay so it doesn't make me happy how can I fix that problem and just having that mindset of it is in your control um, that you can make yourself happy and that happiness as a mindset has been massively massively um, influential in in my life so far yeah I really agree with you that happiness is a mindset and it's something that I'm trying to teach my yeah. children as well you can choose to be happy and I don't want to disregard any mental health issues and anxiety and depression because that's a whole other topic without but a doubt on the whole we can choose to be happy and Tim you've made me really happy by speaking with me today so thank you so much for your time it's been really valuable thank you so much Nicole it's a pleasure Thank you for listening to another edition of the Prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. Please do show us some love, like, comment, share and subscribe all over at NicoleBremner.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter and keep up to date with our latest news and events. Thank you very much.